0: greetings and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast recorded live in Richardson Texas we invite you now to join us for one of our synagogues Shabbat messages
1: okay okay thank you for thank you everyone for joining us Shabbat Shalom joining us remotely uh, during this uh, time of, of required live stream uh, and I want to uh, thank you for, for for tuning in from your homes on your uh, Computers uh, and your uh, iPads and your iPhones, uh, however else however you are, are joining us today. And I want to ask you a a favor now, as you're watching us on YouTube, to click the subscribe button on YouTube, uh, and the share button as well, and share this with as many people as you can so they know about the the service as well. Uh, And also, on on the upper right-hand corner of your screen on YouTube, there should be a little bell-shaped icon. If you could click on that, it it will alert you to all future uh, broadcasts as well, and you'll you'll get alerts for how to tune in to, to the services on YouTube. Uh, so, uh, so thank you for your cooperation and our uh, move to this uh, high-tech virtual service. And uh, Shabbat Shalom again. Uh, we're back uh, in our series on uh, Melchim uh, and, and Aleph, the First Kings and then Second Kings uh, books on Elijah uh, and, and Elisha. Uh, we left off uh, last time with the commissioning of, of Elisha uh, and Elijah being taken up to heaven. In a chariot of fire, if you remember from several months ago when we, when we uh, stopped in the middle. Today we're going to begin looking at length at the ministry uh, of Elisha. Uh, and his, today his miracle of raising uh, the son of the Shinnanite woman from the dead. And I'm going to start by summarizing this lengthy story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, but before we get into our actual text, I'm going to summarize the first half of the chapter. So the background here is that Elisha has met in his travels a woman... In the little village of Shunem. Uh, She had no children. Her husband was old. Elisha says to her that uh, God's going to bless you and give you a child. And a year later, she has a child. But one day, the, the little boy, he's out in the field with his father. And suddenly, he cries out, my head, my head. The father just thinks he has too much sun. Maybe he has a bad headache. So the father says to the servant, take him back to his mother. Let me read this in 2 Kings 4, verse 20. The boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So this woman's only son is now dead in her lap. What does she do? Well, first she puts him in a private room, tells no one, and not even her husband, uh, that the boy's dead. Then she goes to her husband, and then she says this in 2 Kings 4, verse 22. Please send me uh, one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And the husband says, why? Why do you have to go? Uh, is everything okay? She says, everything's okay. So she and the servant ride like the wind to Mount Carmel, uh, where Elisha is living. Elisha sees her far off in the distance. He sends his servant, Gehazi, to her. as he senses that something's wrong. Gehazi comes to her and asks, is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? She says, everything's all right. But she really won't talk to him. She only wants to talk to Elisha. And now we pick up a story at length in Second Kings 4 verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi comes over to push her away. But the man of God says, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me, and he hasn't told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elijah said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, uh, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I won't leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, and he laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha. And told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hands to hands. And and as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. Then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Now we see here, we're going to look at four aspects today of this resurrection power. Number one, who gets this power? Number two, when Does this power come? Number three, how can this power come? And number four, what are the results in our lives when this power comes? So we're going to look at who, when, how, and what concerning resurrection power. First, who gets this power? Who is the channel in the story for the power of resurrection? Who's the real channel for the little boy's resurrection? who's really, really the one through whom the resurrection power comes in the boy's life. I submit to you that it's the mother. It's the Shunammite woman. It's not the men. Well, first of all, the father isn't, uh, is not the one through whom the resurrection power flows. In fact, the mother doesn't even tell the father, that her husband, that the boy's dead. Second, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, he's no help. In fact, when she comes, when, when she comes to Elijah, uh, he tries to push her away. Elijah has sent Gehazi ahead to find out what the, what the problem was. So you can just imagine now what happened. Gehazi asks her, is it all right with your husband and with your son? In essence, he goes to her and he says, hello, I'm the personal servant of the man of God. What's this all about? And in essence, she says, I just want to see the man of God. And Gehazi, he's taken aback, and he says, I am, I am the personal executive assistant of the man of God. You told your problem to me, and I'll report it to him. And the Shunarite woman, she basically says, well, you are the problem. (laughs) I need to speak directly to the man of God, face to face. She won't give Gehazi the time of day. So when she gets to the feet of Elisha, the man of God, what does Gehazi now do? He basically says, I've had enough of your impertinence. (laughs) Who do you think you are? You can't barge right in. You had no appointment. So he tries to push her out. He pushes her away. So he's no help. What about Elisha himself? Isn't Elisha the channel for God's resurrection power? Well, we'll get back to this, but Elisha really doesn't know what to do. He makes several mistakes. First, he sends Gehazi with his staff to try to resurrect the boy but that doesn't work, Uh, and what does the mother do? She says to Elisha, I'm not going back to my house with Gehazi, I'm staying here with you. She seems to understand better than anyone what needs to be done. So I submit to you, it's a Shunammite woman who receives the resurrection power. She has the faith not to accept her son's death, but to go to the man of God and believe in her son's healing, his resurrection. This reminds me of Hebrews 11, verse 35, which says, by faith, women receive their, uh, receive their dead back to life. By faith, the women receive their dead back to life. It's by faith that God raises people from the dead. And the Lord call, is calling all of us today and all of you today to increase your faith. May we be like this Shunammite woman. Uh, and why this emphasis on, on this woman, the Shunammite woman? Well, women had no power or status in the ancient Mideast. Uh, uh, and throughout the Bible, over and over again, the scriptures emphasize that the people uh, in this life who've been marginalized, uh, who are without any worldly power, who are always, they're always the first ones to understand and believe the gospel. We'll put this in the overhead. The poor and the disabled and the marginalized, the persecuted and the powerless are always the first to understand the biblical gospel of grace and humility and surrender versus what I'm going to call the doctrine of religion, which, as we talked about last week, uh, is filled with self-reliance and self-control and self-achievement and unconscious pride. The people that the world has marginalized and kept out of power in general are those who understand and receive the gospel quicker who grasp the good news of Yeshua more instinctively. They more easily and quickly understand and are open to the gospel of grace and surrender versus religion uh, of independence uh, and self-reliance and control. Um, put this on the overhead. It's the poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit, who receive the kingdom of God. The people who are historically on the overhead have been kept out of power Widows, orphans, the disabled, the poor, the sick—they understand that power and control is an idol, and therefore they're quicker to understand the gospel of grace. Because let's look at how radically different the gospel is from every other religion. Says, "Summon up, summon up all your strength, do what you need to do, and then God will bless you." But the gospel says salvation was accomplished by someone who lost. All of his power. Our salvation was accomplished by someone who, at least at one level, went down seemingly to a terrible defeat. And his salvation is only received by people who are willing to surrender to him and give up all their power and admit that they are moral failures and repent. And people in power typically are the last people to understand this and be willing to do what it takes to embrace it, to humble themselves. And submit to God. And so we read this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25. Uh, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there weren't many wise according to the flesh. Uh, not many mighty. Not many noble. But God has chosen, chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God's chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world, and the despise God's chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before the Lord, before God. But by his doing, you are in Messiah Yeshua, who became to us the wisdom of God, uh, and righteousness, and sanctification, uh, and, and, de- and, and, and redemption. Uh, so that just as it's written, that him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The powerful resist the gospel of grace. A religion of self-reliance and control. They don't want to boast solely in God and die to self. No. Uh, They they desperately want to boast in themselves. uh, To to boast in their power uh, and wisdom and wealth and abilities and accomplishments and independence uh, and self-lordship and control. Their attitude is, I do things right and then God has to bless me. But the gospel is completely different. And that's why, for example, ethnic minorities who've been shut out of power are quicker to understand and embrace the gospel than the dominant ruling class. The powerless don't boast in themselves. They boast in the Lord. That's also why women in general are quicker to understand and embrace the gospel than men. Same reason. On the overhead, Yeshua comes to the humble, not to the proud. To the powerless, not the powerful. To those who fall on their face at the foot of the cross. Not to the self-reliant or to the independent. So, on the overhead. Who receives this resurrection power? People of faith in God's grace. People who don't make an idol out of power. That's point number one. Secondly, when does this power come? When do we receive this resurrection power? The way Elisha tries to accomplish this miracle, which at first does not seem to work, shows us us when we receive this resurrection power, which is only by God's sovereign, personal, wise choice. And in his personal, sovereign, wise time. It's not automatic. Uh, This story is very interesting. Uh, He tries to do this miracle, but at first it doesn't work. Uh, first, he sends Gehazi. Uh, they're 20 miles away. Gehazi's young. He's old. So he tells Gehazi, go run. <laughs> Elisha decides that time is of the essence. Time is critical. We can't let this boy's body decay. Oh, we've got to get to him fast. That's Elijah's assumption. But he's wrong. Time was not of the essence. Second, Elijah sends Gehazi with his staff. You know, he tells Gehazi, put the staff on the boy's face. Why? Well, well, Moses' staff worked to do miracles. So, so the prophet lays the staff on the boy's face and, 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 and this is what they do, but it doesn't work. Now, what kind of miracle story is this? <laughs> you know, in all other stories and legends, myths, uh, epic poems, fairy tales in the world, do you ever see a prophet or a magician or a sorcerer or an oracle, you know, wave his hand and then nothing happens? Well, that didn't work. Well, let's try something else. Do you ever see that? No. Gehazi, put my staff on his face. Well, that doesn't work. Maybe I have to do this. Maybe I should do that. What kind of miracle story is this? The only way you can explain this story is that this is just the way it happened. No one makes up stories like this. This is actually proof that it happened. Because if you were making it up... You wouldn't put in in all these failures and all these multiple tries. Uh, And when the boy finally is raised from the dead, he doesn't wake up and say, praise the Lord, does he? No, what does he do? He sneezes seven times. (laughs) If you, again, if you were just making this up, you would never write the story this way. The reason it says he sneezed seven times is because that's, that's exactly what happened. And the Holy Spirit prompted the writer to remember it and to write it down. So the details of the story have the inherent ring of truth and authenticity uh, and, and of a first-hand account. But even more importantly, it also shows that God's power is absolutely not under your control. And it doesn't matter what kind of man or woman of God you are. You cannot control God. We have a sovereign Lord, a God who's good but not tame. He's a, he's a God of grace and a personal God. You know, and religion, your relationship to the, to the divine power is automatic. Religion works like this. If I do everything right, God has to bless me. If I live right, I do the sacrifices, I go to shul, I obey the mitzvot, the commandments, I observe the outward rituals, I eat the right food, I wear the right clothes, I say the right prayers, then God has to bless me. It's automatic. And the overhead, because religion is a matter of self-reliance and and, and control of God, but the gospel is a matter of grace. In the gospel, you're saved solely by grace. God has no obligation to save you, Uh, and therefore, in the overhead, therefore, in the gospel of grace, God acts personally, not mechanically. God's not some machine where you hit the right button uh, and, and out comes the desired result, You know, and sometimes, therefore, when we pray, sometimes God says no. I remember back in law school, asking God to let this particular woman, who had been a classmate of mine at both Cornell and Stanford, uh, to ask God, how have her marry me? And thank God he said no. (laughs) Because he had ordained me to marry my beautiful wife, Elizabeth. And this August will be 37 years. And we, we thank God, he's not some machine that we can manipulate He's a person with his own sovereign, perfect will. He's in control, not us. Our relationship to God's divine power is not mechanical because he is a personal, gracious God. He owes us nothing, and and he's not under our control. He's not a divine slot machine where you put your money in and you get out what you want. So we learn, number one, who gets the power, those with faith in God's grace. Remember, number two, when we get this power, in God's own personal wise time. Now number three, how does this power come? How can this resurrection power come to us? Now in we, we, this connection, we might be tempted to ask, how dare this woman think that she can get an exemption from something that happens to everybody? Right, everybody dies. Uh, the Bible explains why back in Genesis 3, Everybody struggles with death, but the Bible has an incredibly coherent explanation. Now, if you put someone in charge of something and they're not competent, it's going to fall apart. If you let a five-year-old drive a car, uh, that car is soon going to be a wreck. (laughs) Now, the Bible says we humans, you and I, we want to be in charge of our own life. We want to call the shots. We want to be the masters of our fate and the captains of our soul. We want to be in charge of our own life in charge of this world, but we're totally incompetent for that task. Uh, you, you, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not built for that. And as a result, everything is falling apart. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. So it's so as if you put an incompetent person in charge of a business, the business will go to pieces. Well, in the same way, because you and I uh, are in control of our own lives, but we're incompetent to do so, we're all going to pieces. Indeed, the the second law of thermodynamics says this is literally true. Everything in the universe is heading towards more and more randomness uh, and chaos and disintegration. So it doesn't matter how much you work out or or how many facelifts you have or how how well you eat, uh, eventually we'll be in pieces. We'll be deteriorated into chemicals six feet under the ground. We're all slowly going to pieces every one of us, because we're incompetent to lead our own lives, and therefore our lives fall apart. We're incompetent to run the world, and therefore the world falls apart, and therefore death is a judicial sentence, and it's coming to us all because of the way we treat each other, because of the way we treat God. We don't love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So how dare this Shunammite woman come and say, I want a resurrection. I want an exemption. How can God possibly do this? Here's how. Elisha stretches out. What does that mean? What is this pointing to? Look at the text. Uh, 2 Kings 4 verse 34. Elisha went up and lay on the child and put his mouth mouth on his mouth uh, and, and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out on him. Elisha lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye and the literal Hebrew says palm to palm. And so when the Lord looked down from heaven He would not have seen the boy. He would only have seen the prophet, the man of God. And the overhead, Elisha identified with the boy. Elisha filled the exact space of the boy. So that when God looked down, the boy was hidden in him. And the overhead, the Bible tells us that what Elisha, the man of God, did symbolically, Yeshua, the God-man, did in reality, Second Corinthians five twenty one, God made him sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what that means? Yeshua stretched himself out on us, lip to lip, eye to eye, hand to hand, so that when God looks down. We were hidden in Yeshua. Where did this happen? On the cross to say, God made him sin who knew no sin. Oh, what does that mean? Down comes the justice of God. Down comes death, the death that you deserve, that I deserve. Down comes the punishment. That's what this passage says. And to who? Onto Yeshua. Now imagine you're in a foxhole. And the enemy throws a grenade into the foxhole. And you can't get to the grenade in time. So your only two choices are either you you jump out or you jump on top of your friend. You can either save yourself and your friend dies. Or you can save your friend and you die. Your friend can live if you cover him. You take the shrapnel. You take the explosion. You take the death. What are you going to do? Well, we know what Yeshua did. He stretched himself out on us, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand, palm to palm, so that when the judgment of God came down, it did not touch us. On the overhead, God treated Yeshua As if he had done everything we did, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. What does that mean now? Again, on the overhead, here's what it means to be a Yeshua follower: for you to go lip to lip, eye to eye, hand to hand with Yeshua, to identify with him, to follow him, to become like him. To be a believer doesn't mean now I'm going to be good. Come to shul, read my Bible. Turn over a new leaf, uh, keep Shabbat, eat kosher, celebrate the biblical holidays, wear the right clothes, wear the right hats. No, the Bible says to be a Yeshua follower is this on the overhead. Lord Yeshua, because you became my sin, I want to become your righteousness. Because you took my sin on yourself, except, uh, um, except me, Lord Yeshua, not because of any good that I've done, because of what you have done on my behalf. And when we no longer rely on our own record, but solely on Yeshua's record, the Bible says we are now clothed with his righteousness. And that means you are hidden, your life is hidden in him. So that means when God looks down, the when God looks down, uh, just when he looked down on the little boy and saw only the man of God, but God looks down on you. If you are a believer, all He sees is Yeshua, the Son of God, and His perfect record and His resurrection power. on the overhead. Yeshua identify with us so our sin became His. We identify with him so His righteousness becomes ours. And until you fully embrace that, you are only a religious person, a person in control. You're a person who's trying to control and manipulate God. And therefore you're always anxious and you're always unsure. As C.S. Lewis said, uh, for you it's always winter and never Christmas. Uh, or as, as we might say, uh, always winter and never Hanukkah. Uh, but the minute you cry out from your heart, hide me in you, Yeshua, he does. The minute you embrace the real meaning of Yeshua's death and resurrection, you realize that it wasn't just some amazing miracle, but it was Yeshua's way of stretching himself out on you. He identified with your sin. Uh, Your sin became his. So when you identify with him, when you repent and trust in Yeshua as your Lord, his righteousness becomes yours. Do you understand this? Do you fully embrace this? Only when you understand and embrace the real meaning of Yeshua's death and resurrection, uh, that he became our sin and we became his righteousness, that when God the Father looks at us, he sees us in Yeshua, clothed in his righteousness, only then do you realize that God accepts you completely and that God loves you as much as he loves his own son. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? Because when you do, it creates a spiritual resurrection in you, And the overhead. The minute you trust in the physical resurrection of Yeshua and identify with it, the minute you put lip to lip and eye to eye and hand to hand uh, uh, and, and you rest in him and you identify with him, it changes everything in your life and creates a spiritual resurrection. You have a new birth, you are regenerated. You have a spiritual resurrection. Look at how you previously would relate to people, for example. Uh, why are you always getting your feelings hurt? Or why do you always feel a need to, to hang out with, with the cool people? Why do you feel a need to, to dress up in a certain cultural style? Often because we don't have an identity of our own. You don't know who you are. You're always trying to live up to, right, to a certain standard or, or model or image. You're always trying to feel good about yourself. But what if you had a rock solid identity that could never be taken away? What if you knew what God felt about you? What if you lived in absolute assurance that you are now a new creation in Messiah Yeshua? It would transform all your relationships. You would relate to people differently. Nothing would make you afraid. No virus, no plague. You would have a fountain of joy welling up within you. You would look at the whole world differently. Uh, you'd look at money differently. You'd look at your job differently. You'd look at relationships differently. You would be spiritually resurrected. The minute you understand and embrace the meaning of Yeshua's death and resurrection, you get spiritually resurrected. Resurrected. Yeshua stretched himself out on you. Stretch yourself out on him. So that's number one, who gets this resurrection power? And number two, when does it come? And number three, how can it come? And now finally, number four, what are the results in our life when it comes? When the resurrection power of Yeshua comes into your life, what happens? Uh, Four things. Uh, Number one, first, when you're born again, when that happens, you are going to have the poise of, Uh, and the faith and the commitment that this Shunammite woman had. Look at her. Nothing stops her. She is determined to seek the face of God. And she won't rest until she cries out to the man of God in faith. She's absolutely relentless. She has amazing faith. She's fighting against the condition of her son. She's not accepting the brokenness of this world. And twice we see this very interesting response that she gives. Now, you're, going to, you're going to only gonna actually see this response uh, in the King James Version. First, her husband says, are you all right? And the, the NIV, it says, I mean, she, said, she says, everything's all right. And secondly, Gehazi then asks her, is your child all right? And again, in the NIV, she says, everything's all right. Notice she's not giving a, a direct answer. The question is, is your child okay? If she had said, yes, my child is okay, that would have been a lie. But that's not what she says. In the King James Version, she's asked, is it well with your child? And she says, it is well. In Hebrew, the word is shalom, peace, wholeness, wellness. It is well. She says, I may not have peace in particular, but I have peace in general. She's saying, even though right now, I'm hurting over my child, I'm gonna fight against this situation, uh, yet I am not gonna acquiesce in my brokenness. And at the same time, I know in a deeper sense, everything will be all right. Horatio Spafford suffered a terrible tragedy in 1873 when all of his children died uh, and when the ship they were on sunk. And after her word, he wrote this famous, famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And this text that we're studying today Second Kings 4, the Shunammite woman, this is the text that he used to inspire him to write that hymn. How could he possibly deal with the terrible tragedy of all four of his children drowning to death? Here in this text, he sees the Shunammite woman's response. Is it well with your child? No, it's not well with my child. My child is dead, but it is well. It will be all right. I believe in the Lord. I, I, I know that I have a deep conviction foundationally. Oh, Whatever happens, that I have my trust is in him. God is in his heaven. God is good. There is resurrection. There is hope. Now, if she could do that, if she could have that incredible balance, so can you today. Notice, she's not fatalistic. Oh, it's just God's will. My son's dead. Nothing can be done about it. But she also doesn't just say everything's terrible. She says, it's not well with my son, but it is well. It is well. It's like the name of the hymn, it is, uh, it is well with my soul. Now where are you going to get that balance today? Only if you believe in a God who resurrects, who resurrects, which means that he himself is not happy with the way life is in this world. Uh, but he's also a God who delivers us by his grace, and who promises one day he's going to make the world right again. One day he promises everything sad will become untrue. So you can rest assured that God is in control. He will bring about his perfect kingdom at the right time when everything sad will become untrue. And it's the only way you can have this, this poise and this peace and this balance that the Shunammite woman had. Otherwise, you'll either be on the one hand a naive romantic or on the other hand a hardened cynic. So first, you get this poise. Uh, secondly, in the overhead, uh, the text says you get a picture of what you could be doing to minister uh, to your friends, especially now in this time of anxiety and fear uh, and, 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 and uh, trouble. If you are a man or a woman of God, you can bring this life of spiritual resurrection to your friends. How? Not just by sending your staff, by the way, your your walking staff. Do you know what the the staff was? Uh, This was basically Elisha's uh, stethoscope. (laughs) He was a professional. Uh, He sent Gehazi with his staff, which didn't work on the overhead. If you want to minister spiritual life to people, you can't just send your staff. You have to personally stretch out on them meaning you're going to have to get personally involved in their life. You're going to have to know what's happening in their life. Feel what they feel. Uh, There's going to have to be a deep sympathy, uh, a willingness for you to reach out and minister to others. This is the way you can see your friends become spiritually warm, even as the boy's body became warm. Lots of empathy, lots of involvement, lots of, of being vulnerable and available and open. Pray about reaching out to at least one person this week to see how they're doing, to pray with them, to spend time with them, or by phone, if you can't do it in person right now. So that's the second thing we'll be, that uh, is a result of this resurrection power. Uh, third, another result of this resurrection life is this, you will no longer be afraid of death. There's a great book I want to recommend called The Rise of Christianity, It's actually by a secular historian named Rodney Stark. He states one of the reasons that Yeshua faith won over the whole Roman Empire is that in the 3rd century, there was a deadly series of plagues. Sound familiar? (laughs) These plagues have swept through all the large cities of the Roman Empire. And the pagans, seeing this, they left their own sick and dying family members and friends and ran off to the hills and the countryside and the rural estates away from the big cities, away from the urban centers to escape the plague. But the believers, the Yeshua followers, stayed. They stayed and ministered to the people in the city. They bound up their wounds. They cared for the pagan sick. They cared for their own sick. They stayed in the cities and ministered. Many of them died doing it. But they were determined to live out their faith and to self sacrificially love and serve their neighbor. Now, why were they able to do this? Because they believed in the resurrection. They believed in resurrection. They knew the physical resurrection of Yeshua had happened because of all the eyewitness accounts in the Bible and how it transformed the disciples' lives. And they knew that spiritual resurrection had happened in their own life, a new birth. And because of their belief in the resurrection, they were not afraid of death. And if you're not afraid of death, you will live in a whole new way. You will not be afraid when funerals come, even if they're of your own loved ones, as we have sadly experienced lately in our own EC family. Because you know that someday you will be reunited with them. Just as as Elisha said to the Shunammite, Woman, behold your boy. One day Yeshua will say to us, My beloved followers, he'll say, Behold your husband, or your wife, or your mother, or your father, or your son, or your daughter. So as a Yeshua follower, you are no longer afraid of death and the overhead. Fourthly, resurrection means that we fight. We fight against the problems of this life. We don't just acquiesce in the way the world is. The resurrection of the body means that God does not want us to just simply escape from this world, but to fight against evil, uh, fight against injustice, fight against disease, fight against death, fight against poverty, because God himself is against it. Uh, N.T. Wright, this famous scholar, he, he writes this about the resurrection, the overhead. He writes, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That God cares about the problems and pains of this physical world. If Yeshua was only raised spiritually, then Yeshua faith is only about me. Finding new spiritual power, escaping this world. But if Yeshua is raised physically, then God's not going to tolerate injustice, violence, or sickness. And we must work with all the energy of God to achieve victory over these evils. Take away the physical resurrection of Yeshua, and perhaps Karl Marx was right when he accused Christianity of ignoring the problems of this world. Take away the physical resurrection, perhaps Freud was right. Christianity is just wish fulfillment. Take away the physical resurrection, perhaps Nietzsche was just right. Christianity is only for wimps. (laughs) But with the physical resurrection, we don't say that this world doesn't matter. Uh, we don't say we're just passing through, uh, that things are bad, and we're just sitting around uh, waiting for pie in the sky by and by. No, we are a fighting religion. We look at injustice and sickness and death and disease and poverty and say God hates that. Uh, and I'm part of his program of renewal and transformation. What is M.T. Wright saying here? He's saying, if Yeshua had only been resurrected of your sins, and did physically, that means that God wants to rehabilitate our world. And that makes Yeshua faith, Messianic faith, a fighting religion. It fights against sickness and disease and plagues. It fights against uh, famine. It fights against disasters. It fights against abortion and infanticide and murder. It fights against injustice and poverty. We are called to be as relentless as this Shunammite woman in believing in the Lord's deliverance in praying for God to deliver us now from this plague and to restore our nation and in fighting for our return to Judeo-Christian biblical values in our land. Yeshua is stretched out on you. You are now called to stretch yourself out on him, meaning to follow in his footsteps to become like him, to identify with him. And as you more and more understand the physical death and resurrection of Yeshua, the Lord is calling you to have a spiritual resurrection in your life, beginning even today. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. i the music team to come on up, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you today for your resurrection power the power that can heal all our diseases, that can protect us from all the deadly pestilence, uh, from from the disease that stalks in the darkness, uh, from the plague that stalks at midday. Even though a 1,000 may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, it will not come near us as we take shelter in you, Lord, and rest under your protective wings. So Yeshua, hide us in you today. Stretch out. Over us, lip to lip, eye to eye, palm to palm. Cover us by your blood. Help us to humble ourselves and repent and trust fully in you. Because when we do, you promise to take our sin and to give us your righteousness. Help us, therefore, not to cling stubbornly to our own independence and our own control and pride and self focus. Help us not to grasp under our own self-determination and self-reliance and the throne of our own life. But you, Lord Yeshua, you raise the humble from the ash heap. You give grace to those who do not cling to power, but to surrender their life to you, who die to self, who take up their cross, who follow you fully, who submit to your lordship with complete devotion and absolute surrender. Lord Yeshua, just as you stretched out on us on the cross, help us today to stretch ourselves out on you, to fully identify with you, to become like you, to, be, to become your disciple. Create a new spiritual resurrection, a revival in our life today. For we pray this in your name, Yeshua, B'Shem Yeshua, amen. Shabbat shalom. A couple quick announcements before we close.
0: We want to ask everyone. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. No.
1: It, it's it's on, right? His mic is on. Is it on?
0: Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. We are encouraging everyone to have Passover at home this year, and to that end, we have Elizabeth has put together twenty different recipes for Passover. We also have. We're wanting to do this as economically as possible. She has designed a Afi Komen bag.
1: Yes, Matsatash bag? Yes.
0: OK. Bag like this. And I know we have some men watching who do not sew, OK? There's a there's a pattern in here for for sewing it with a needle and thread. There's also a, 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 a design here where you can just staple it and tape it together if you make it out of paper. so. We're trying to do it as economically as possible. Let me show it to you so you can see it, Um, so that everybody can participate. We need for you. Let's go back to that first slide. Thank you. We need for you to let us know, first of all, if you're interested in doing this, we can send the stuff out to you. So please send us your name, your address, and your cell number. And at the very bottom of the screen there, first slide, please, the very first slide. Info at ecdallas.org is the address to send it to. And we will get this information out to you tomorrow. The next slide is if you, if you wanted to give to ETSHEIM, a lot of you are regular contributors to ETSHEIM, and you don't want to do it electronically, we do have a mailing address. And it's there on the screen for you. Please write that down.
1: And then if they do want to do it electronically.
0: And we also have the one for you if you want to do it electronically at the very bottom, ecdallas.org. That's our website, okay? And there's a page there that says Donate at the very top of the of the, of the bar across the the screen. And we were wanting to keep in touch with people. You know, we had the the database upgraded uh, last summer, and I was so proud of how well it turned out, and all the people we, all the names we got listed in there. Until we started trying to use it this uh, this fall, this spring. Uh, and we realized all of a sudden that we didn't have cell numbers for a lot of people, so we couldn't instant message. We didn't have, we didn't have uh, address, or email addresses, so we couldn't email people. And so if you're listening to this and you, we don't have that information, if you haven't got emails from us or text messages from us, please send us that information so we can keep in touch. That's all the announcements for today. Thank you.
1: Right. Shabbat shalom.